Hi there, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Still Into It? Lockdown Edition, with me, your host, Mikey, and yeah, I hope everyone is doing well. Um, Yeah, I've really, really struggled to kind of put this episode together in terms of trying to find a succinct summary of all of the crazy events that have gone on in the UK over the last couple of weeks and then of course seeing what's happening in America with the protests happening in Minneapolis and nationwide as a response to the police murder of George Floyd and again I'm just sort of observing these things from the UK I am not in a position to I think really speak in much depth about that but I definitely would encourage anyone who's horrified and appalled with yet another of these racist murders happening to look at different support or solidarity funds that you can contribute to. I've contributed to the Minnesota Freedom Fund which provides cash bail support for low-income people and I would yeah absolutely encourage you to continue looking into that find interesting resources i think lots of people are sharing a ton of very very useful information online and to support the struggle against racism both at home and far away and yeah returning to the uk i think that anyone living here is probably just going to be as you know confused as kind of potentially overwhelmed as I am with just the level of misinformation and chaos that seems to be just really, really developing here. I have been spending far too much time on Twitter and watching, you know, watching these farcical government press conferences and trying to feel like I'm not the only one seeing such an insane display of hubris and lies. And thankfully, I'm definitely not alone in that just to kind of try and perhaps do a slight summary before the may bank holiday weekend there was this developing uproar about the reopening of schools there was very legitimate concerns about whether it was safe to do so and also what that would mean in terms of potentially increasing covid infections and leading to a second wave of deaths in the later summer and autumn and winter the week before the teachers unions were in the line of fire of the right-wing press with their usual nonsense uh, you know this kind of idea that The lumbering dinosaur unions are wanting to scare people into not thinking that returning children to school was safe and that it's time to reopen Britain and get the economy moving again and and it's time for people to get back to work. And that approach didn't quite work. Um, A friend of mine, I think, neatly summarised this, so I'm just going to kind of read something that he wrote where he said, the NEU, that's one of the teachers' unions in the UK, the NEU are arguing... We shouldn't go back until five tests are met. These tests include lower rates of infections, appropriate PPE and proper testing. We are nowhere near these. All of the relevant education unions, including the headmasters union, are against a restart unless conditions are met. Growing evidence suggests some children are suffering with serious complications about a month after being infected. The government at the moment aren't even that convinced that children are spreaders. The Department for Education's scientific advisor hasn't even assessed the guidelines. The decision to be open has been made by the cabinet and has other intentions than public health at its core. 
and now it's after this weekend that I'm recording this, it's approaching June the 1st, which is when the government has said it wanted to have schools reopening, but there is a huge disagreement amongst different councils, different regions, different cities as to whether or not this is safe. And I think it is definitely fair to say the government has completely scuppered that message. They have not made any convincing arguments that schools are safe to open. And a lot of uh, different councils are responding correctly in terms of wanting to know what parents and teachers are really really concerned about and what they're thinking and I yeah I think it's extremely unlikely that come Monday many schools in this country will be open and I think the interesting thing around the the schools reopening and the teachers situation is that it is just one of those areas where it just has an incredibly brutal baseline which is people thinking about the health and of their children and that is something I think that the government have really perhaps not really considered appropriately is that with all of the mixed messages with all of the disastrous communication around securing enough PPE with all of the stories coming out from different medical workers around all of these failings I think even if people were perhaps considering that you know, the government's maybe not done too bad a job of it. As soon as it comes down to that personal step of, are you prepared to have your children go out and go back into these kind of conditions without perhaps that reassurance or that consistency? I think a lot of people are correctly just sort of wanting to wait and see and are not convinced that the government actually has a proper handle on this and want to make sure that everyone is abiding by the same set of standards and the same set of rules. And so speaking of people abiding by the same set of rules, this story that broke last weekend that has caused, again, another huge furor in the press and amongst different uh, sections of the government was the revelation that Dominic Cummings, uh, the Prime Minister's chief advisor, the his definite right-hand man, architect of the Vote Leave campaign, generally uh, a very, very unpopular person, it would seem, had broken the very, very clear and strict lockdown rules when it was suspected that his wife had COVID-19 symptoms for him to drive 250 miles up the country with his family to self-isolate at his father-in-law's estate in a separate cottage and in essence just sort of his justification for it being at this utterly bizarre um, Sunday evening press conference at the Downing Street Rose Garden on television and again why an unelected advisor is taking up this much limelight I it you know it's lost on me but said that he felt he was acting Legally and responsibly, he was doing what any concerned family member and father would do. He was worried about who would take care of his four-year-old child if he and his wife had gotten ill. And again, just completely at odds with the very clear, very strict government advice of if you or your fa- any member of your family shows any symptoms of COVID-19, that you are to self-isolate for 14 days. You cannot leave your house and you have to rely on support and care from other people outside to assist you with things like you know grocery shopping or any other kind of needs that you may have 
as millions of people in the country had done. And so the story became an extremely catalyzing moment because it clearly reinforced everyone's suspicion that there's always been one rule for them and one rule for the rest of us. And to have Dominic Cummings show such little remorse for it, he didn't even apologize, was, you know, holding this line that he's utterly convinced he acted correctly when so many people over the last two and a half months have made so many sacrifices, have had to hold back from so many, you know, instinctive positions of care for your family. You know how many people have not been able to see family members who've required really significant care, how many people have missed birthdays, deaths, funerals. I mean, the list really, really, really goes on in terms of people have been really making some very, very difficult sacrifices and really in terms of isolation and containing if they've been worried about spreading COVID-19 or not wanting to put other people in danger. And it has been heartbreaking. It has been truly awful for so many people who because they were following what the government told them to do in terms of this these measures on isolation and then to have it thrown in your face on a sunny bank holiday that actually oh these guidelines were always slightly open to interpretation or you know your judgment is kind of what's best in it and again I think that so many people are rightly furious about this and it in turn also the media furor afterwards also just exposed that Boris Johnson is completely useless without Dominic Cummings. He was not going to fire him, even though other members of the government government have been uh, sacked or have been forced to resign for less. It's, you know, me talking about the story, kind of everyone has their different opinions and feelings on it. And it's, you know, it's been genuinely a real struggle to try and summarise it clearly and succinctly because it's just there clear as daylight a senior government advisor broke the rules the rules have never applied to him and people are rightly absolutely furious about it and to also see the cabinet rally around in support of him to uh you know say that he was doing it in the best interest of his family even though then it was also later in the day revealed he'd made a second trip during this time outside of London to the small town of Barnacastle to test his eyes before driving back to London. I mean, it just again cemented this hollow spectacle even further. And so you just had this astonishing story and then just ministers rolled out on the weekend onto various talk shows and to various um, news programs and tried to adjust the previous social distancing and lockdown guidance on the spot. They were started mentioning bizarre things like they'd never specified you needed to self-isolate in your primary residence, although you they did and you did. But yeah, there was just so much and it, it was a true, it was a new low. And to just see them sort of almost smirking and joking about it on points because they knew they were just holding up an indefensible position really really got in people's throats and in turn I think that's what's going to cause actually a lot of issues for the government now that the they're planning to ease the lockdown measures even though it's still seems like it's extremely unsafe to do so I don't think that their five conditions that they 
put in place earlier to do to lower that lockdown have been correctly done. I think they're doing it in order to try and distract from this story. And people now, I think, basically just have the, you know, the get out card of, well, Dominic Cummings did it. So why can't I? And just final kind of wrap up on that whole thing is also what of all the people who are fined for breaking the social distancing rules, do they now have the ability to challenge those fines against them? And with increasing reports coming out from The Guardian that percentages of BAME people are stopped and fined more in the UK under coronavirus laws compared to white people, there is, of course, always an extra dynamic to these um, these forms of social control and I think it's you know we all know how completely fucked the system is and incidents like this which are just so brazen and blatantly obvious just expose it clear as daylight okay then so with yeah an attempted summary of the news out of the way, I can actually start to talk a bit about the main topic of today's episode, which is around social distancing, easing of lockdown, gigs and festivals. When when will we be able to go to them again? When will it feel okay and safe to be around large groups of people? And so I suppose the kind of first bit of this is just around different countries are now easing their lockdown measures what does that feel like for you how's it feeling being around people again um are we gonna have developed some sort of newly internal form of social distancing what's this going to look like in terms of social awkwardness or social anxiousness um that level of kind of caution and care what's that going to be doing and I and on the one hand I I really hope that actually that kind of instinctive togetherness that people crave will supersede some of that you know I really I really don't want a world in which we're even more hyper self-conscious or even more terrified of constantly doing the wrong thing I think more than anything this has shown our need of kinship and that as human beings we are truly social creatures and need to be comfortable and around people again but perhaps it will change the ways in which we socialize and arguably one of the I wouldn't say advantages I think perhaps one of the things to have been dealt with during lockdown is our approach to socializing and what what kind of areas or what kind of events or setups are the most effective for connecting with people as quite an introverted person I've always enjoyed smaller group hangouts and kind of activities like that so in many ways the developing uh, easing of lockdown kind of measures will probably allow you know groups of two or maybe four or so on to kind of hang out more which seems pretty good but I you know it will it will certainly be a really long time until pubs are open again and I guess there's also just something there about making sure that people perhaps who aren't as comfortable in business as usual, socialising and hangouts, feel like that it's not just a sudden 
return to normal when this is all over and that you know hopefully we really really learn and have learned some important things about why we need to just be there for people and subsequently perhaps some of the things you just don't need to do anymore perhaps there were those times when you felt obligated to constantly be going out or you felt like you never wanted to say no and that with the um, perspective and you know just reassessment of your life amongst all of these these crazy crazy times hopefully that will allow you a better chance to yeah just stop sweating the small stuff and just feel comfortable in doing what you want to do and spending time with the people that you want to it's for me certainly I think having been lucky to have traveled a lot you know not even lucky like extremely privileged to travel and tour a lot and have a lot of friendships all over the world and who I communicate with in different ways and video calls and things like that this time has been just a real a really really good reminder that you know true friendships and true connections are not the people you feel like you constantly have to always be in touch with or always um constantly updating it's like people people will be there you know and yeah it's that's a really really important thing to remember yeah in terms of gigs i think it's uh it's looking pretty worrying to be honest i imagine it's unlikely to go or to see any live music for potentially the rest of this year i am i mean certainly big capacity venues like a thousand capacity venues are definitely i think not looking until summer to september next year for kind of booking tours and, and particularly i mean yeah international touring artists are uh, is it going to be a long time before we see people from the u.s again that's just one aspect of it i mean there's ton you know there's obviously not just the u.s centric touring cycle there's lots of different and other countries but i think arguably there's perhaps some sort of case that your localized diy or independent scenes may be getting back on their feet sooner and that again never more important time to have your own diy spaces and venues who've alongside other venues have just been absolutely hammered i think by not being able to be open but yeah i guess i'm just sort of a bit curious about that idea around when we'll be able to go and see live music again will the fact that sometimes diy gigs are not very busy be an advantage for once in terms of it being okay to do them socially distanced but also on the flip side sometimes diy gigs can be the most packed in and like you know sweaty massive bodies um compared to anything else and i just really think that it's going to be also just really really strange like what happens if you have to go to a gig but you have to keep a two meter social distancing rule will they only allow a smaller amount of people in um what kind of a thing would that be if you were playing to a yeah a literally distanced audience and i yeah still making my mind up about that so perhaps if you're planning any gigs or planning any kind of setups or ideas let me know what your thoughts are on them and of course this doesn't just apply to like bands or like diy punk or hardcore you know there's so many 
independent dance music scenes which again i mean how the hell do you throw dance parties if you're having to do social distance you know there's been footage i think of a rave in germany where people were like partitioned into these little squares to make sure that they were maintaining social distancing and it just looked horrendous like i you know i think i would much prefer to wait until it's safe to kind of for everyone to come out right than try and do some sort of piecemeal option like that like i think that that would just i think reinforce the strangeness and reinforce that kind of lack of connection there so it's um it's a real it's a real tough one and but again there's a possibility that the world will never fully go back to the way it was maybe there will always be a risk of covid it's it's very very strange and i you know i think the other side of it is to be aware that i'm not trying to do this as some sort of like oh yeah the diy scene is going to like re-emerge better from this i think this whole scenario has shown the interconnectedness of different cultural sectors different kinds of those ecosystems and in essence when the big venues are not able to open when they're not bringing artists over who in turn can proliferate within the DIY scene that's you know those things are going to definitely have a knock-on effect and rent unfortunately isn't going anywhere and you need people in spaces and you need to be selling alcohol in spaces to keep them going so there is yeah I'm afraid there is it seems like a ton of stuff to come up with that and I've been in turn really reflecting on that personally just because it's that time of year where the start of May I would usually be going to the annual DIY fest in Nijmegen which is run by one of my best friends Eric of Rope or Guillotine Records he also plays in He's played in numerous fantastic bands, but his most recent band, Oast, are a really great D-beat band, which perhaps I should chat about on a another episode, and fantastically sarcastic lyrics, which is exactly what we all need at the time. But yeah, they, you know, uh, DIY Fest in Nijmegen is a really good example of the kind of fests that I enjoy going to a lot. There's probably about 200 to 250 people there at the Onderbrook, which is a venue within the basement of the Broke, which is this uh, fantastic social centre cafe kitchen space in the town of Nijmegen. And it's always just a delight to go there. It's a really nice chance to see so many friends from different countries and to, you know, just see some really really great bands in just a smaller and more I think interconnected kind of fest sort of space and it's it's really I mean a I'm just really really missing going and I'm missing seeing my friends and just having that chance to be blasted by really fantastic music to hang out go for walks in the cities stay up way too late at all night dance parties you know all of those kind of fun things but I think that it it was always an interesting fest to go to as mainland Europe has lots of different smaller DIY fests like obviously Crimea River Fest happens in Germany which is the reactive protest label and tons of those related bands which is also a lot of fun and there is of course Fluff Fest in July each year in the Czech Republic and neither of those fests are happening this year either which definitely feels like a bit of a dent but 
yeah, these there were these wonderful kind of fests and chances to go and hang out and explore. But I think we also need to be really aware of, I think, how much people can take this for granted. And I certainly take it for granted. It's very easy to develop that kind of cynicism when you've been either playing in bands or just going to a lot of gigs for a long time and kind of feel like you're perhaps a bit over it or it's quite hard for you to be impressed by newer newer artists. I feel like, I certainly feel like I give less new bands chances to kind of impress me which feels a bit of a a bit of a dick move and yeah I think perhaps this whole setup is and this whole new way of living means that that will hopefully not be the case so much perhaps it's a chance to recognize all the things we took for granted and are actually really special about the DIY scene even though it obviously has all of its problems still and I'm really, yeah, I'm really wondering about that new level of connectedness that will happen when we can go back to fests. And it makes me think quite a bit about the socially anxious nature of the kind of punk scene and DIY communities. We've, I think, myself included, gotten very, very into social media and communicating via that. The ability to hop on your phone at any point at a fest actually means... You don't need to interact or chat or connect with the people who are around you. You know, there's always uh, someone on the other end of the phone that you can just message away or see if you feel a bit bored or self-conscious or awkward. And I just think it would be really, really awesome that as and when we go back to do fests, we don't do that so much if we can and just try and relax within the spirit of the community that we're a part of and by that I mean get way less finickety about different subgenres within subgenres different uh you know minor disagreements or kind of like silliness on things like that like just to try and really see that yeah a kind of just a much broader view on like if you're attending these kind of fests then they are obviously important to you on some level and that we are all responsible for creating atmospheres that feel welcoming and open and make sure that people feel like they're looked after and it would just be really really great if we learnt or relearn that kind of collective joy and that you know rather than it being a bad thing going to a gig or going to a fest where you don't know anyone could actually be really really wonderful because it means you have the chance to meet a ton of new people so just gonna let that thought uh, sit for a bit yeah and i think i'll probably return to this subject in perhaps a bit more detail in a other episode uh, just because as i've been going through this i've just sort of had some more ideas but one thing to really think about is in the immediacy of what to be done to save our venues at the moment. And so in the UK, the Music Venues Trust has launched their grassroots music venue crisis service, where they are specifically putting together support and resources for grassroots music venues facing urgent and immediate challenges due to coronavirus, COVID-19. I'm really getting sick of having to say those words, but you know. This is a document, so 
that's what's going to happen. And yeah, I think the kind of that whole take on supporting venues because actually perhaps it's really not so much about whether or not you're going to like every single band but you really or artist performing but you really really want that creativity in that space to keep going and those opportunities to keep going I think that also just that you know memo to yourself of actually try and give newer artists and newer bands a chance trying and again speaking totally to myself here be be less of a judgmental um jerk about stuff and i think also yeah one of the things i'd like to really try and think about more and perhaps explore a little bit more is the interconnectedness of venues and diy spaces and why it's an essential need for us to be together and be comfortable and close to communities and people around us but that also with this pause this disruption that's currently happening is this in fact actually also a chance for us to get our houses in order in terms of things in the DIY scene or independent music scenes that have been going on for far too long and have been you know the norm or business as usual for too long and that actually we now have a a wonderful opportunity to shake things up so just to finish off this episode uh, I just wanted again to chat about some music and a couple of bands that I've been really enjoying whilst in lockdown and the first of these is Soul based out of Portland Oregon and in their own words Soul are a five-piece post-metal band that explores the beauty and fear of the natural world Comprised of brooding heaviness and atmospheric calm, their sound reflects the dense and expansive landscape of the Pacific Northwest. And that is a pretty damn perfect description. Um, They really convey that landscape within their music, and soul play a very earthy and rooted form of slow, doomy post-metal, but just with these occasional flourishes of black metal to kind of keep the dynamics and tempos flowing and they sound very very different but I think there's a little bit of a similar vibe to Lycus who also do a combination of doom and black metal so if you're at all interested I would definitely check them out if you're inclined that way and the interesting thing with Soul for me in terms of my journey with them was they really sort of slowly seeped into my listening habits and grew on me in a very organic way I think I'd listened to their second album, Upheaval, in passing, and was like, yeah, this is really good, but hadn't really given them a dedicated listen, and it was always on the to-listen pile, but just never, you know, never really got properly properly into it. And then I saw probably about 18 months or so ago, they'd released a new single from a split EP, and this... uh, this track tomb of giants completely changed my perspective on them and i realized when i was listening to it for the first time that it is most likely the best post metal song that i'd heard in a decade i think you know 
again, having been really, really interested in that music and playing in a band, taking a huge amount of influence from it from the early 2000s, it felt like from sort of 2008 onwards that there wasn't much inspiration left in terms of that type of music or kind of perhaps my my ear was a bit burnt out on it or I just wasn't having the patience to go and discover new bands who are kind of playing that sort of style so to just have that track really hit me in the gut and just really be yeah just such an amazing amazing reintroduction back into that world and I think in turn inspired me to go and listen to a lot of the bands that I was loving during that period in kind of 2004 2005 it it was really really cool to just kind of get taken back to that moment but also hearing the ways in which you could develop that sound and kind of keep it exciting keep it fresh and uh, inspiring it was super super cool and for me it kind of links into that whole I was picking up on this very natural earthiness to soul that just made them feel really really grounded and I think that when describing post-metal there are those immediate bands to come to mind like Neurosis, Cult of Luna, Isis and I think I mean especially Neurosis and Cult of Luna have done records that have a very stripped down and organic feel to them and it seems to me that sometimes there are some more divergent forms of post-metal there are those who choose to accentuate their more spacey aspects by incorporating more electronics slicker production and so on and then there are others who go for the more kind of, as I said, earthy vibe. And Soul are definitely in this latter camp. What's a total delight to my ears is I also feel they're one of the few bands who really give me that buried inside feeling. And that's just in terms of yearning melody, arrangement of songs, the interplay of different members. They really, really sound like a band who are playing together. And it's just a total joy to listen to. And for me as well, and a, you know, a slight egotistical moment, I feel like they're playing with and exploring some similar ideas that Fall of Ephrathur were playing on with our last album in Lay. I think we share a lot of similar influences, so that doesn't surprise me, but it's really, really cool to hear a band take those ideas on their own winding path and just kind of hearing what they come up with. Um, also in terms of vocals, they're really interesting. I think, again, a lot of post-metal bands in the genre it feels like vocals are sometimes an afterthought or are done by a member who's already playing another instrument like guitar or bass and I think having a dedicated vocalist just allows a lot more space and creativity. Josh's vocals in soul are just excellent and he has this really guttural thunderous roar which has a lot of impact but also really accentuates what he's screaming so you know if your ear is well attuned you can really hear the lyrics. If you're at all interested in listening to Soul, I would go to their Bandcamp. I'll, of course, when I put out this episode, provide a link to that. You can get their second album, Upheaval, on vinyl from Alert Antifascista Records. I'm not sure about their previous album, Black Mountain. And as I mentioned, Tomb of Giants is a track on a split tape EP with X-Sons. Again, not sure if they've got any copies of that tape left, but you can get the tracks on Bandcamp and support them in that way and I would absolutely recommend that you do so. A nice little side note as well is having put together this episode and listening to quite a lot of soul I actually have gone back to some of the more obscure post-metal bands I was discovering in the early 
to mid 2000s when I really really got you know the bug for it and was trying to kind of find other artists and one of those artists is North Carolina's Giant and I actually think now that I'm going to mention Giant on another episode and do a bit more analysis and kind of a bit more research because I think that that project's evolution has been really interesting once they changed from being giant into brave young and developed a far more kind of ambient and neoclassical project and approach to playing music that very much is still heavy but not a post-metal band at all and they also now with brave young changing have become a project called msc which does really really cool yeah electronica um again ambience neoclassical sort of spaciousness it's a very very interesting and fun project to just hear kind of evolving and going through these different forms it's really it's really really interesting and i bring this up because they announced this week that next friday the june the 6th which is the next Bandcamp artists day where Bandcamp waiver their administrative fees in order for any music that you purchase on Bandcamp to go directly to those artists is they're putting up a ton of material from their archives, including B-sides and sort of a lot of material that was perhaps quite hard to find digitally. But they're also going to be uploading an unreleased giant album that they recorded as the follow-up to song, which I don't think many people knew about. And I, for one, am really, really interested and excited to hear that record i think it will be just really really cool to like having had enough space and time from when i was listening to tons of those type of bands just to kind of see what an album like that sounds like so i think that will be very very cool so definitely if uh you're so inclined next friday go and check out the brave young band camp i think there'll be some really really cool material to explore and to discover and the other band that I wanted to discuss on today's episode is Sweden's Dodslit, which is a one-man band that's now become a touring project with more members. And the creative mastermind behind it is Christopher, who used to play guitar in Totemskin. And Totemskin were a kind of Swedish crusty hardcore band, had some really, really cool songs and I think that Dodslit is the just an amazing progression and step up from from that type of music and I think has really done a very unique job on fusing melodic black metal with crusty db punk and has kind of created this whole sort of you know just their whole kind of take on it for me just feels really really fresh and sort of unique you know and that's I actually think quite difficult to do it's not easy I think to kind of stand out playing those types of music because there's just a lot of bands doing it and the genre tropes are very very cemented and Dodgerit now have two records out they have a self-titled LP on Alerta Antifascista Records, and then their follow-up Spirit Crusher, which was put out by Prosthetic Records. And they also run their own label called Wolves of Hades, which they're releasing 
you know, raw punk, crust punk, black metal, different projects. Very, very cool and nice to see those kind of uh, particularly tapes being a big, big prominent part of that. So we're definitely, yeah, go and investigate that if you're so interested. But yeah, again, I think Dodds it I was listening to and enjoying their self-titled LP a lot, but was kind of curious as to what would come next. And Spirit Crusher for me is just amazing. I listened to this record so, so much, and I just find it, electrifying to listen to it's for pretty long songs but they don't ever kind of uh, become boring or sort of let up they just really they really really hit this mark and in terms of sound you know i've described melodic black metal and cross punk but i think there's this sort of perfect connection between swedish death metal swedish black metal the more melodic wave of kind of bands that are perhaps taking some of the second generation black metal influences is kind of present there and just creating quite you know majestic anthemic triumphant riffs and then have just arranged that into the kind of modern cross punk mold of just kind of making those sections like really pummel and there are just you know totem skin had some very very heroic guitar work going on and on this, I just feel that's just unleashed even further. There are some guitar leads on this which are just so damn catchy and so invigorating that they just bring a massive smile to my face every time I'm listening to them. I think that track three, A Drowning Voice, I have listened to you know, incessantly. I just cannot get enough of that track. It's just so, so cool and just really really fun to listen to again it feels like the the sounds of like melodic cross punk and black metal that have been brewing in the DIY scene for the last sort of decade or so it feels like this is a next evolution of that and it just is incredibly awesome just to to listen to and just really really sort of hits that spot the as I said I think trying to get those balances of kind of punk and metal can be quite tricky to do but this just in terms of its songwriting I think just really really steps up and just yeah just hits me in the chest every time I'm listening to it and it it really conveys a thing that I've always loved about metal since I first started listening to Metallica which is that sense of sort of melancholic triumph and for me, the best music, when I'm listening to it and really kind of going deep into it, for me, it creates a sense of invincibility. And I think that Dodsrit just really kind of nailed that beautiful, beautiful feeling for me. Um, and I'm very, very excited to hear what Christopher comes up with next. He also is a home brewer and he is on his Instagram brewing some delicious looking stouts, sours and IPAs. So... Yeah, if ever uh, there was a request for, like, start making some beers, dude, and kind of uh, packaging them up with records, perhaps that would be a real match made in heaven. Okay, so that's kind of me wrapping up uh, this episode. Again, was just felt like a bit of a kind of struggle to put together again, but I'm hoping future episodes may flow a little bit better. 
just wanted to say thanks again so much for listening. Stay safe, and I will see you next time. Thank you.